I have many deals that are very appreciation focused and I'm doubling my money every three to five years and it's phenomenal and it's going to grow a lot of wealth. And I think it's a great strategy. And yet on the other side, uh, moving more money into income allows me to have more optionality. And it's about understanding from my perspective, where you're at and what your goals are. I'm Stephen Pesavento, and welcome to the Name Your Number podcast presented by the Investor Mindset. As someone who comes from a challenging childhood, I've spent my life seeking financial security, personal growth, and ultimately freedom. The freedom to not wake up worried about the next paycheck, but rather with the confidence of knowing that my passive income pays my bills without the need to think about it. When you name your number that you'll earn passively, that creates your ultimate quality of life, then I believe you've achieved real freedom. Welcome to my show. It's time to name your number. Bronson. I'm good, Stephen. It's good to see you, man. It's always good to see you. And I love talking about mindset. I know we've been friends for a while and just love what you're creating here, man. So excited to add in any way I can add some value to your listeners. Yeah, it's really been cool to see your path and your journey grow because for the listeners who aren't familiar with you, you were working in a W-2 job, you're working with another operator, uh, putting together uh, investors and bringing in cash and helping them grow and scale their business. And then you went out and did that same thing yourself. So in today's episode, I want to talk a lot about kind of your experience and path towards getting to that time freedom type place where you could truly fire yourself from your job and have the optionality to go and do what you're now doing. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people that I worked with in the medical field, I had, you know, 10 years, I worked in the medical field in medical device sales. I was making good money uh, over 200K a year. But the thing I didn't have, which is what a lot of people don't have is that freedom of time. And so a lot of people talk about having financial freedom, but really we want freedom of time. And so I just tried to learn everything I could. And it literally led me on a path to learn about multifamily investing and syndication. And now we're doing all kinds of alternatives outside of real estate, even ATMs and car washes and oil and gas and other things. But uh, really the goal, you know, Warren Buffett says is to learn how to make money while you sleep. Cause if you don't, you're going to work until you die. Uh, ironically, Warren's still working, but uh, you know the principle is there to make work optional so you can do what you love to do, not what you have to do just to make ends meet. Yeah. I mean, to, to be able to put your time and effort into work that you love and having the option to not ever have to do it if you don't want to. But before we get into all of that, let's start out on more of a personal note. If we're looking back at your life, what events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today? Yeah. So, um, yeah, quite a bit. I had, uh, when I was growing up, we were pretty middle class. I would say we were kind of lower, maybe middle, middle class. My dad was a college professor at a small school, but as a single dad, I mean, he had four kids. And so, uh, it was kind of unusual. I grew up with my dad, but the thing that, um, was really interesting is that we grew up and we would go to garage sales. We go thrift store shopping. And I kind of learned this idea of like, Oh, you could buy a brand new watch for 40 bucks, but you could find one at a garage sale for like a dollar. And sometimes they were the same. And so it's that idea of price is what you pay and value is what you get. And then also fast forward a little bit to when I was a teenager, um, my brother had raised, uh, he had basically worked at doing uh, paper routes uh, when he was, uh, you know, 14, 15, 16. And then when he was 16, he was able to buy his own car. He'd saved $8,000 to be able to buy a $4,000 car. I saw that. I was like, wow, like I really want to be someone who 
can actually make money and what that looks like. And so I got a paper out and what it did, it taught me every single day, no matter what happened, you know, it was in the afternoons during the week, come rain, shine, snow, whatever. I was out there sometimes on a sled if it snowed in Seattle and I would be pulling the sled, driving the bike, whatever I'd be doing to go get those newspapers to those people. And it taught me a lot of responsibility and also gave me some ability to see a cause and effect relationship with money. So those two things of really, you know, understanding what value really is, how you, you know, it's prices, what you pay, values, what you get, as well as um, just learning a work ethic of, hey, if you go out and, and you make it happen, you can create anything you want. And so that was kind of some early experiences that really helped me with that. I think it's such a valuable experience. You know, I grew up broke and the idea of getting a deal was always like the core value in our family. If you could get a deal on something, if you could negotiate something, like it feels so good at it. And it really plays well into investing because the same kind of principles can be true there. And it ends up leading to, you know, a much better result, much better uh, types of returns that get you exactly where you want to go. Yeah, exactly. I mean, deals. I mean, I think a lot of us are deal junkies now, especially in the uh, in the industry. But it's 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 just an amazing thing that um, again, I quote Buffett a lot. But there's a great even as a teenager, I found some of Buffett stuff, and it's really spoken to me over the years. But he said, you know, a lot of investing is like uh, you know buying dollar bills for forty cents, right? And a lot of people think. Yeah. Well, if it's really a dollar bill, it wouldn't be there, right? But there are deals that are out there. And I know you guys are doing great deals as well in your business. And so we're all we're looking for that. We're looking for those inefficient markets where, you know, you can get a dollar for 40 cents and it does exist. And that's that's what we love, right? And I think that's really amazing. So tell me, you went down the path of becoming an author, you wrote a book called Fire Yourself. Such a simple concept, yet I know towards most of the people that I know who work in kind of a traditional job, they think, well, that's not really possible. I see other people doing it, but they must be making money off of selling me the idea of it. And even though I personally know that's not true, there's definitely those people out there. Tell me what this book's all about. Yeah. So the book is, um, you know, it's, it's a compelling title, but it's just the idea of how do you make work optional? How do you uh, allow yourself not to, you know, have to go to work, uh, but that you can fire yourself. Meaning uh, a lot of people we work with are business owners. Um, they know, you know, they've got kids going to college. Hey, if I, if I sell this business, how do I make money? Like what's the way? Cause a lot of times wall street doesn't mm-hmm. offer income or if it does, it's very low income and there's a lot of volatility there. And so through main street type investments that you do, that I do, um, and, and businesses as well, there's all kinds of ways to generate cash flow. So as an investor, um, I used to feel, I asked this question, I've talked with over 1500 investors one-on-one, we've raised over $40 million. And I always ask this question, Steve, and I say, you know, what's more important to you? Is it cash flow or is it appreciation? And a lot of people are kind of like, well, I don't know, I need a little bit of both or, you know, appreciation, whatever. But I have come to believe like with almost a, like a passion that like I get offended when somebody says something different, that cash flow is just way, way superior. It's far superior to appreciation because if you're going to make a lot of money someday, that's great. You can't leave your job today. You can't pay for expenses. If you have cash flow in your business, uh, when I was able to replace my rat race number, which was not super high, it was 60, 70,000 a year through investment income, I was free. I didn't have to go to work anymore, right? And so that's the, the idea of firing yourself is developing enough passive income in your investments where you actually have, you make job, you know, work work is optional. And if you do work, you're working the way you want to work and how you want to work. So I do think work is great. It's important, but to have to go to work, I mean, something like 70% of people are not engaged or they don't like their jobs. I mean, to me, 
that's a tragedy. Like life is too short not to do what we're here to do. And so I think those are a couple of things about fire yourself that I, I really like those concepts. I think it's once you have an experience like this personally, when you hear Bronson or I, or all these other people talk about their experience, that's just knowledge. But once you go and do it, you actually get to feel what that feels like. And you believe that it's true in your bones. For me, that was Airbnb. I was 23 years old and I was renting an apartment for a thousand bucks a month. And I started renting it full time on Airbnb and I was making three grand a month profit every single month. And so although three grand a month, isn't going to retire you if you've got a family and things like this, but what it did was it gave me that experience to see, well, Hey, it's possible for me to take an asset. This happened to be a rental, but that contract and the setup and the business behind it is an asset and turn that into an income stream that I could then multiply and be able to start on that path. What was it for you, Bronson? What was that investment or strategy that kind of opened up that door to realizing that it's possible to step out of that W-2 life? Yeah. So it actually started for me, I think similar to a lot of people where I had a single family house that I had bought as my first house I bought in my twenties. And I had ended up moving to another area. And so it was like, well, do I sell the house? So I keep it, decided to keep the house. And it became an investment that cash flowed. Initially, it was kind of a break even, but I did a lot of work on the house. So it started to cash flow more over time. Then I realized, man, I'm, I'm generating like four or 500 bucks a month on this house. I was like, this is kind of nice. So I thought like a lot of people, hey, maybe I'll get more of these houses. So I started buying single family houses in the Cleveland area, which anybody who's bought in Cleveland knows that there are some rough parts of Cleveland. And uh, I, you know, I, so I had at one time four or five houses and I just realized, you know, in that experience, it was a lot of work. It wasn't penciling like I wanted. Um, but the first experience was buying that, you know, that first house. And then um, over time I had a, you know, there's a, there's a saying when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And for me, uh, I have a cousin who had been doing multifamily for years and said, Hey, this seems like a lot of work. Why don't you do multifamily? And I said, well, I'd love to, but I don't have the money. And that's where I learned about syndication. I learned about the ability to be passive in investing. A lot of people think that owning houses is passive, but, um, I tell people, and in the book, I use this example, if you can't go from two houses or three houses to, to 30 houses, you know, if you can't 10x the size of the, what you're doing, it's not passive. You're basically just creating yourself another job. And so there's a huge advantage to be able to do a little bit of work on the front end to vet a team and vet a deal. But then once you invest, you literally receive that mailbox money, right? You're just getting that cash flow and you're not having to do the work for it. So I went from, you know, having a, an investment that was, uh, you know, somewhat passive with a single family, then I had a manager was another state to trying to do more of it and realizing how hey, just re this really is not scalable. And that's what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, I want to do, you know, we want to do real estate to become financially free, but it's not through single family typically, unless you've got something set up that will allow you to do that. So um, I, I just think, you know, the bigger deals sometimes they allow for people to be more passive in general. Well, because they're so much more scalable, all that effort and energy is focused on one building, one asset versus spread out across all these individual buildings. And I mean, I know, you know, my background, I bought 200 single family houses in two and a half years. And I'll tell you, it was not scalable. And that was the direct reason I went into multifamily was because I realized it was dispersing focus over all these different individual properties that all had a very different, um, you know, repair requirements, uh, layouts, designs, all these things. And so when you go bigger, it requires a bigger team, but it allows you to be able to bring other people into the table. So 
you started out doing single family. That was where you got the little taste of it. Today, you, you're working with a bunch of LPs. We have a similar experience where you're talking to folks, you're helping them uh, be able to understand what this investment opportunity looks like and how it can actually set them up in the long term to be able to create the life they want to live. What are some of the biggest challenges that you see people who are looking to make this transition or who already have started making these investments? What are some of the biggest challenges that those people see when they get involved investing passively? Yeah. So, you know, as a passive investor, um, a lot of people, they are un- unfamiliar with investing, um, you know, except unless it's a stock or a lot of people that are wealthy have a money person. Um, and Tony Robbins wrote this book called Money Master of the Game, which is a really good book. But he basically pulls the curtain back on some of this and says, you know, the average fee for a fund like a mutual fund or having an investment manager um, is typically they'll say it's 1.2 percent, but it's actually around 3.2 percent. So there's all these hidden fees that they don't actually have to legally disclose things like administrative free fee, cash drag fee, whatever. And so that brings you a 3.2 percent. And then if you, if you have a, a Morgan Stanley or a big you know fund manager that you know like an investment advisor, they're typically taking another one and a half to two percent on top of that. So it's typically around five, five and a half percent, which is most of your returns. So this, you know, investment becomes like a savings account. So for a lot of people, when they get started, it's just getting comfortable that it's not, this is not like brain surgery, right? Where you have to have like, you know, years and years of education. It's just, you know, getting into things that actually make sense for you. And a lot of people, and I can relate with this as well, is they don't want to make a mistake. So analysis paralysis is huge. I know you probably talk about it on the show as well. People will just look at deals. I mean, there are people going to meetups five years ago that I've seen that still haven't bought something yet. And I'm like, man, why are you even going to meetups? But I was that guy for six years. I would just show up and I didn't Mm -hmm. really do anything. I had my one rental and I didn't really scale. I didn't really grow. And then something clicked and all of a sudden I was like, I actually have to do this. Like if I do it, it will actually, um, it will actually change. So my belief is that life has this action bias, right? If you have two people, one person has incredible ideas on how they're going to get wealthy and the other person or some goal, the second one just starts taking action every day, every week. It just reflects and just kind of keeps doing it. The person taking action will always win. And so I think the biggest obstacle a lot of people have is just inaction because everything feels weird until you've done it or you've known somebody that's done it. And a lot of people with the word syndication or Main Street investment or things that are outside of Wall Street, they just feel very different. So I think that's kind of the, the first thing is just getting people comfortable with, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get into these projects and I'm responsible, you know, in a way for, you know, my decisions of, of choosing to invest or not. Yeah, it really comes down to that decision. And that decision has to be, hey, this is where I'm at right now. It's, I'm fearful of what's outside of what I know, but I have to, I have to make that decision and step out and have an experience. And if I can make multiple of those decisions and have multiple experiences, I'm going to increase the likelihood that one of those experiences is going to work out well, which is then going to give me the opportunity to build off of it. But even more importantly is deciding upfront that even when the experience doesn't go well, that it's the purpose isn't actually to make a profit initially. The purpose is to get into the game. The purpose is to have an experience where you can learn something so that you can then have the confidence to keep doing it. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that's really well said, Stephen. I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's almost like when you have a workout, that's like a, a way you've never worked out before. And you're like, man, I didn't even know I had a muscle there and it's hurting, you know, it's like, I got to think. And investing is like that where it's like, it's working a muscle that's underused or you didn't know you had. And really, you know, it's typically going to go one of three ways. Either the investment's going to go great. It's going to go okay. Or it's not going to go well, regardless of how it goes. Most of the time it goes just fine. 
and you will learn. And I think the biggest investment we make really is in our own education. And so you know, if somebody has, you know, $5 million, you don't put $5 million in one deal and pull, you know, you put a small amount, you put 50 K or hundred K, put a small amount in, which for somebody has 5 million. And for some people that's all their net worth. But if you're putting a smaller percentage of your net worth, you'll learn. And I think that's the thing that you'll, you know, you'll be able to gather from, Oh, okay. There were some signs here that this was going to go this way. And I would not invest with these guys again, or yeah, this happened. And man, I really like this. These are things that I'm going to take. And I, I really, uh, this was a great experience, right? So you're going to learn on both sides. And I think it is, that's really how we learn. I mean, it's, it's almost like I, I don't pay attention a lot of times unless I'm invested in something, right? If I invested time or money yeah. and this is a way where you invest money, you're going to pay attention. Yeah. I think the other mistake people make, and I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on this is that they make that investment, they take that action and then a result happens. And because they don't have enough experience uh, or they haven't made enough of those bets over a long enough period of time, they start connecting the outcome to the wrong thing. Meaning if things really go well, they connect, Hey, I'm a genius. I picked the right person. They're a genius. They're doing the right thing. Or if things don't go well, they blame others, which very may, may well be the people to blame, but that once you have enough experience and you've done this for a long enough period of time and you've talked enough investors, you start recognizing there's a bunch of things that can lead to a great investment. Some of those can be the market. Some of those can be the operators. Some of those can be the economy. All of these different factors all play into a result. What have you seen yourself going and working with investors, both during really good economic times and during challenging economic times? Yeah, it's a really good point. Uh, a lot of times, the things we learn are not helpful and you'll see it with, you know, investors or people that, you know, maybe have a business and they just think that they're the biggest geniuses in the world, but it's just really kind of luck and timing and and being fortunate. And we've had things that we've done well, you know, in our business where have, we've been phenomenally successful, like phenomenally successful. And we have other things we've absolutely, I would say we've absolutely gotten destroyed and it, our, that's happened personally. But on the other hand, like it's all been learning. I mean, I share in my book, a story of how I traded options. My net worth was about 200 K and I lost $70,000 in one day, right? That yeah. is a very bad day. And what I learned is I'm not a great options trader, right? I'm not the guy to be working that formula and be doing that. And that was incredibly valuable. I know people that have lost over a million dollars in a deal. And so um, somebody listening can be like, oh my gosh, that sounds terrible. I've never, you know, but I mean, the amount is not as important as what are the lessons? What are the things that you learn? And so when you talk to people that have been doing this for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, or people like Buffett, it's all the lessons. It's all the things you learn. And sometimes you can learn uh, the things you learn in times of success is that, uh, oh, I'm, I'm pretty great at this. I'm pretty awesome, whatever. Well, it could have been, it was the right, you were in the right place at the right time. It could be that you simply, uh, you know, got lucky. And, you know, a lot of times we, we don't learn in those situations. And so I think it's so important to just continue to remain humble and, and just always be looking to learn and be looking at your strategy and say, well, you know, what happens if things don't go the way I want? What if things shift? What if they change? Because they can shift. We watched it in multifamily, right? It happened very, very quickly where, you know, it went from being, this is a super, I mean, if you invested between, excuse me, between 2010 and 2020, it was like, you're a genius. If you're just in there, maybe 2018, you're just a genius because you own, right? And so everybody kind of got really cocky. They oh, this thing can't go on. Well, we've watched rates rise. We've watched a lot of operators struggle, watched a lot of bridge debt situations kind of get in trouble. And so, um, you know, it's just, it's so important to just stay humble and continue to learn and just be open to feedback from the market, from others, and, and just to keep learning and realize, you know, maybe I'm not as smart as I thought, and I just need to learn. 
Well, I think that's that's a really, really valid point. And it's the this idea that you have to take risk in order to create returns. But if the more that you learn, the more that you can understand how to reduce the risk and increase the return. And somebody who's been operating for nearly the past decade in real estate, since the first day that I got into the game of real estate, I was told that the market's going to crash the next year, the Fed's going to raise rates, and the whole game's going to change. And for eight, almost nine years, nothing happened. And then something happened. And so this is part of the uh, game of investing in real estate or investing in general is that things happen that are outside of your control. But the more experience you have, the more knowledge that you have to react to those situations and to put guardrails in place to help prevent losses when those types of things do happen. So if you're an LP and you're out looking to make investments and you've got some money that you want to get placed, how would you recommend people think about reducing risk while increasing returns when they're going to go make an investment, whether it's in real estate, alternatives, business, anything in between? So, yeah, I think the question of reducing risk is really important. There's two things I want to say about this real quick is, is the first thing is your education uh, your your network will really help you a lot as a passive investor. Getting around in the right rooms, you can ask people, "Hey, I, I, I'm thinking about investing with this. What do you think about this deal?" Uh, finding people that have been doing it for five, ten years. I think for a lot of passive investors, they don't know any other passive investors, and that's the benefit of going to conferences. Uh, we have our event in Los Angeles uh, each October, the Advanced Investing Summit, um, and you know things like that. Even local meetups, uh, depending where you're at, if you're in a larger or mid-sized market. Um, so that's that's one thing, and I would say um, you know the the education, the networking is really important, and then I think just continuing to um, look at a situation and say what is the evaluated risk here? What is the one or two primary risks in a situation that in this project that could go wrong? And I think about it, I try to think, okay, this is what I think could not go well in this in this area. Um, and then ask an operator when you're having those questions, those calls with operators, ask them, hey, what do you think is the biggest risk of this deal? And then I thought of one more. The third thing really is uh, going back to my point about cash flowing deals. If I have a deal that cash flows very quickly um, or it's has a predictability in the cash flow, I start to reduce my risk basis when I start getting paid. So if I have a deal that I know somewhat predictably or historically, hey, I'm going to get half my money back in a couple of years, um, that's reducing my risk with every payment. Right. So I think that that's something to think about. A lot of people don't think about is, um, and again, I'm not, we do some that are speculative, we do some that are higher, you know, long term and their development type of things. I think that's great. But there's also just, you know, uh, you can reduce your risk as well by having cash flow in your deals because money's back in your pocket. Now you can put it into something else. Yeah. I think cash flow can solve a lot of issues. If there's a deal that has cash flow early and often, then obviously you can hedge against some of the challenges. But in order to get that cash flow, you're typically giving up greater backend total return. And from my perspective, I think different investors need different things. A lot of people are very attracted to high backend returns. And I think it can be a great way to multiply money really quickly. What is your perspective on it? I hear from you, cash flow is king, focus on cash flow. But if somebody's starting out with a lower net worth and they've got bigger goals, the only real option in order to multiply that money is either make a lot more money uh, uh, on the active side, doing your business, your job, whatever that is, or is to make strategic investments that can multiply greatly um, while allowing the portfolio to grow so that you can then turn that into cash flow at the right time. How do you think about it? 
Yeah, there's actually two two points I like to think about with that is that you know when I had all these calls you know with investors is either someone has time or they have money, and if you don't have money, then by default you you can make time or have time. So for me, I was working a full time job. I didn't have a lot of money. Honestly, even though I was making good money, I didn't have a lot of money, and so I chose to say, okay, to scale this, I want to figure out how to create value for other people in raising money. And so when we raised the first fifteen million in the first couple of years, that dramatically changed my net worth. Right. So there's ways people can grow much faster. So I think if you're willing to put in the work now, if somebody, um, but it just depends how people want to set up their life. Maybe in your business, you can create more money there and you can invest. But um, I would say either it's going to take a little more time to generate cash in your business or find a way to get in the business of investing, real estate, syndication, whatever that business is and raise money or find deals, kind of do it that way. Um, the other thought that you were, you were mentioning is, is um, cash flow versus appreciation. Um, I think, you know, for retirement accounts, you know, if you're years out, I think, I think speculative deals can be great. I think it's, I think it's great. I just think in general, when someone's looking at, uh, Hey, I, I've got to do this job. I'm in a certain situation. We don't know. Um, even if you're making great money, I mean, kind of what started this for me as well. I had a couple of physicians I worked with that made over $2 million each per year, but they were working 60, 80 hours a week, every week, and they couldn't take much time off. And I just thought, well, that doesn't look like freedom to me. Right. I, I wanted to, mm-hmm. And for someone like that, could they say, okay, of the two million they're making, or somebody's making two hundred thousand, whatever, can you take half of that and start investing it, right, and start putting money in to develop these skills about investing? And I, I think the cash flow once it starts to increase over time, or you find investments that increase, um, and right now in real estate it's a little harder. That's why we've transitioned to do a lot of business and other alternatives outside of real estate. But um, I, I do think I do think cash flow is great. But there are situations where someone has a sizable net worth, and you know, if I'm worth three or four or five million, and I don't really. I've got enough liquidity. I can do speculative stuff all day long. So we've got deals we've done where there are potential 10 to 100x type of deals. And when you ever have a deal like that, there's a, a decent chance that that goes to zero, right? So there's things that, you know, every investment has its own risk and reward profile. And you've got to figure out based on your situation, really what your goals are. So that's the challenge of a conversation like this is I'm not in everybody's shoes. And when I was an investment advisor for a few years, you could have specific conversations around it, but everybody's story is a little bit different. I think that is the challenge is that when you're in education mode and you're out there learning, cash flow is a good safe option because cash flow is what actually pays the bills. Once you get enough cash flow together, once you have enough recurring income, then you have that optionality of being able to decide, hey, maybe I don't actually want to go do X, Y, Z. I want to focus my time elsewhere. And you have the ability to make that decision versus you can't eat appreciation until it exits. And so I have many deals that are very appreciation focused and I'm doubling my money every three to five years and it's phenomenal and it's going to grow a lot of wealth. And I think it's a great strategy. And yet on the other side, uh, moving more money into income allows me to have more optionality. And it's about understanding from my perspective, where you're at and what your goals are. Because if somebody, for example, has $500,000 to their name, they probably should focus on trading time to get more money. Like you talked about, we have Andy Higgins on uh, the podcast recently. He was talking about being in that advisor role for businesses where you can trade your skills to be able to create value for the company. It's a great option. But if you're somebody who's making two, $3 million a year or a million dollars a year, or you have five or $10 million in net worth, and all you need is a couple hundred thousand dollars a year to be financially free, you have the option with passive income to be able to flip that over and be able to, you know, be in control of your life. Yeah, exactly. I mean, really it comes down to 
giving you options and giving you uh, the ability to make those decisions. This is the one thing that would really challenge me and actually challenges me now is that, um, <clears throat> you know, as an investment advisor, you would try to help get people in the right type of investments. I did this for a few years and then I realized, man, I just, I can't do this based on what I know. And I wanted to get an alternative assets. <laughs> But uh, even too, when I have all these calls with investors, you have these calls, your team has calls with investors. You can't tell them how much, hey, you should put this much in this deal, or this is the way you should allocate, because it depends on a lot of factors. And really what it comes down to is it depends on the own person's risk tolerance and their own desire for, you know, if somebody's 30 years old and they're like, I want to put 100% of my net worth on some really risky stuff, they have the ability to do that. Versus somebody else who's 30 could say, I don't want to lose anything I have. They might say it's all going in 100% in some really conservative thing, right? Or somebody who's 80 years old could say, I want to invest this way, I want to invest this way. And the thing is, um, when we take responsibility for our own investing, and that's what we're doing here, right? We're, we're not delegating it to Wall Street, we're not delegating it to an investment advisor, um, because all of these people that I worked with, there's some people that have been critical. I had one guy, this is a really interesting story, I had a guy who invested with us about 500K in one investment and a couple hundred K in another investment. And his investment advisor was like, I, I strongly encourage you not to work with Bronson Equity because of this and this and whatever. And I'm thinking like, well, and I, I just responded, it's like, you know, either this guy is not wealthy or he didn't get wealthy using the methods that he's recommending. Right. And that's the challenge is mm -hmm. like it's it's do what I say, but not what I do. And so they, they did a, a study and they found that over 50 percent of large investment funds, <clears throat> excuse me, over 100 million dollars a year, the fund manager had zero dollars invested. Right. So Wall Street has this incredible misalignment of interests where they will always get paid. And we have a whole chapter on this in the book about watch out for Wall Street. So I would just say, you know, for you, you got to take responsibility for your own <clears throat> investments, your own education, and just be ready to try different things and figure out what your own risk allocation is and what it is you want to accomplish. So kind of shifting gears here, you have a family you're working in a W-2, you started kind of going down this path. Why do you do this? Why do you put yourself in this position to help others get invested, to take the risk, the personal uh, uh, relationship risk of helping guide people down this path when, when there's no guarantee that the result is going to be what we're all hoping it's going to be. So wh why do you do what you do? What's, what's really driving you? Yeah. So, um, and, and just, you know, full disclosure here, we've had a couple deals that have struggled. We've got a couple multifamily deals. We've had capital call situations on, and it's been some really hard conversations, you know, with people that, Hey, we're not exactly sure how it's going to go. Are we going to, you know, have a profit? Are we going to retain the capital? I mean, it's been really challenging. So I think it's important that we, in the industry, we talk about that, but I do mm -hmm. think that again, what I'm really passionate about is when someone is able to fire themselves, they, can choose how they want to spend their time. And to me, you know, it's interesting. Warren Buffett has that quote about making money while you sleep or else you work until you die. Well, he's 92 years old, I think 93 years old. He's still working, right? So it's the idea of, and he actually describes it of tap dancing to work. Well, what if whatever your job is as somebody listening, if you could tap dance to do what you want to do every day, to work with the people you want to work with, to travel how you want to work. I mean, last year I was able to travel six times internationally. I was able to finish writing my book, spend time with my daughter, take her camping, do the things that I want to do. And now I'm working hard. I feel like I'm really out there trying to do things, but I have the flexibility that I didn't have before. And this year in 2024, I've got a trip 
to go to Everest Base Camp in uh, April, May. So those are those are kind of bucket list kind of things. A lot of people think, oh, I'll, I'll start living life when I'll have a life deferred plan when this and this and this happens. But they don't do anything to try to get themselves there. So that's why I think it's so critical. And we also don't know, like you or I or any of us, God forbid, we could be disabled. We could have an issue. I have, you know, I have a daughter. I have, you know, there's responsibilities I have. So having some sort of something set up that I don't have to just simply do the time for money trade or this business has to function and there's no way it can function unless I'm there. Today's episode is sponsored by Von Finch Capital. If you're interested in investing alongside me in the same type of real estate opportunities that I personally invest in, then head over to Von Finch Capital and join their private investor network. You can do so at vonfinch.com slash invest. Join me on that next deal. And I look forward to seeing you on the inside. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level. Hey, this is Steven again. Just one more thing before you take off, and that is the Insider's Newsletter. Would you enjoy getting a single email every week with some of my favorite things, including tips and strategies on how to get the most out of your life and your investments? Basically, what it is is some of the coolest things that I've discovered or am pondering when it comes to life, investing, and business delivered in a short email every week to your inbox. Easy to sign up for, easy to cancel. If you'd like to try it out, type into your browser, investormindset.com newsletter to get started, and you'll get the very next one.